Well, I'm going to read now from the Old Testament. We've already had a, a reading from the Old Testament which gives the background to the psalm that we're going to be looking at this evening, which is Psalm 34. Psalm uh, 34, which is on page one, uh, 547 in your church Bibles, if you're using uh, them. Psalm 34. Well, we read this. Uh, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and good. Seek peace and pursue it. Sorry, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Oh, this is God's word. Let's pray. Father, as we come to look at this psalm, please in your great mercy, give us seeing eyes and hearing ears, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just have a sip of water before I get started. Well, it's uh, good uh, to see you uh, here uh, this evening, and also welcome 
to those of you that are watching on the uh, the stream, it's good to have you uh, with us too. May God bless us all together in this time together. Well, Psalm 34 is one of those psalms where we know what the background circumstances are as to what brought about the psalm to be written. And that's the passage that uh, Henry read earlier from 1 Samuel 21 and verses 10 onwards. Uh, David, as we know, had been anointed by the prophet Samuel and he was going to be the next king of Israel. And at the time, Saul is king of Israel and David serves Saul. He fights in the army uh, for Saul and is very successful. So the people sing and rejoice. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Well, Saul becomes jealous of David uh, and eventually decides that he must get rid of David. And so David runs. He runs away. And he goes to Gath. Now, you know what Gath is all about, don't you? There's a certain guy who uh, David had killed from Gath. His name was Goliath. This is where the Philistines lived. What was David doing running to where his enemies lived? Uh, I can uh, only assume that in his fear, he kind of panicked maybe. We can do that, can't we? And when we're under pressure like that, we can make decisions that maybe aren't the best decision. And so when it's reported to the king there, Achish, uh, that David is amongst them, uh, David is frightened, and he starts to... He must have been a good actor, wasn't he? He must have been a very good actor. He starts to act mad. He's lost his mind. And so eventually... Akish uh, throws him out. He's got enough madmen already. He throws him out. So David is able to escape. And he goes to the cave of Abdullam. And it's kind of consequently that he writes this psalm. Was it a good thing that David did? Acting like a madman? Uh, commentaries that I've read, some would say, well, you know, this was the idea that God gave to him. But it's not a very good look, is it, for the one who is going to be the king of Israel, who is going to be a type of Christ. It doesn't seem to me a very good look. Well, I'll leave you to work out which one of those uh, explanations you would, uh, would go for. But he escaped. And so he writes this uh, psalm. And no wonder he writes in verse 5, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be shamed. He is full of joy. But, you know, although you know, he may not have behaved in the best possible way, yet nevertheless the Lord's grace was upon him and delivered him. Well, God's grace is like that, isn't it? You know, we don't earn it by our own goodness. Even when we fall. The Lord is still gracious towards us, is he not? 
He certainly has been to me across the years, and I'm sure he has been uh, to you too uh, as a believer. So here we are with this psalm. It it falls conveniently into two sections, uh, verses uh, 1 to 10, and then verses 11 to 29. And verses 1 to 10 are about rejoicing, and verses 11 to 29 are about learning, learning lessons, as it were, that uh, David has clearly learned through these experiences. So let's, let's start to look at, at this psalm, shall we? Uh, and you know, rejoice with me. Uh, first of all, let's see David's commitment to rejoicing in the Lord. Uh, he says in verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times, his praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul makes it boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Well, when you read that, you know, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be upon my mouth. Here's a man who is committed to praising the Lord. He is clearly satisfied with the way that God has dealt with him. Now we were thinking about that this morning, weren't we? We need to savour the Lord, be satisfied with the Lord, treasure the Lord, because he is more important than anything else. And so here is David, committed to rejoicing in the Lord. But note this, I will bless the Lord at, what does he say, at all times. That's what I'm going to do, David. I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. I mean, God has been good to him here in this situation. And God is always good, isn't it? He's always good. And he's always worthy that we should rejoice in him and praise him and bless his name. Sometimes when things go well, we say, oh, the Lord's been so good. That's true. The Lord's been so good. But when things don't go well, and when things are difficult, and there are troubles and there are trials, God's still good, isn't he? He is always good. And so David's commitment is, I will praise uh, the Lord uh, at all times. His praise shall be in my my mouth at all times. And when you go down through uh, the psalm in verse 4, Uh, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. So he mentions fears. Indeed, he'd been very fearful there in Gath. In verses 16 and 17, it mentions, sorry, verse 6 and 17, it mentions troubles. Uh, Verse 6, this man, poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. And then again in verse 18, it mentions The brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And then verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So at all times, in times of fear, in times of trouble, in times of being brokenhearted and crushed in spirit, or even when there are afflictions, God is always good. And he is worthy that we rejoice in him and praise him. I mean, believers face all sorts of troubles, do they not? I mean, the Lord never 
never promised that it was going to be easy to be a Christian. And yet the Lord delivers. You get that in verse 6. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him. So the Lord saves. He delivers. And he can do that in all sorts of ways, in very kind of ways. I mean, you think of in the New Testament, James, the apostle, is arrested by Herod, put in prison, and then he's put to death by the sword. It doesn't seem much of a deliverance, does it? But, but where does Jane go to be? He goes to be a place far better. That's the ultimate deliverance, isn't it? When we all die to go to be with the Lord. That's what happened to James. Peter is also arrested by Herod and put in prison. And an angel comes and releases him and delivers him from prison. You know, different ways. And the Lord deals with us all individually according to his plan and purpose for our own lives. And you know, we must learn not to look at other people. And think, well, the Lord's done that for them. Why doesn't he do that for me? Well, because you're you and they are they. And he will do maybe different things for you. It's varied ways in which he will deliver us. Uh, James, uh, in chapter 1, we read this. Uh, James says this. This is a different James. This is a different James, the Lord's brother. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy when you have trials. I don't think you'll find this in many counselling manuals. And then he goes on. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfast, uh, steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without approach and it will be given him now, now we're, we're familiar with that ask, you know, ask for wisdom and God will give it I mean it, it's in the context of, of troubles and trials we need God's wisdom don't we in how to respond to that and one of the ways to respond is God is good and in these troubles he's up to something he's doing something that is good he is definitely going to be developing my Christian life now was it you Daniel that testified this morning and you were talking about going through a difficult time and you were thanking God because you had been blessed by God and you had grown spiritually that's, that's it you see that's, that's what happens that's what the Lord does so here is David's commitment to rejoice in the Lord at all times then we have David's testimony verses 4 through to seven. Verse 4 says, I sought the Lord. Verse 5 says, those who look to him are radiant. And then verse 6 says, this man, poor man, cried and the Lord heard him. I sought the Lord, I looked to him, I cried to him and God was there and he answered me. Uh, you notice that it says, I sought the Lord. Uh, this is it's in capital letters, and I'm sure it's in yours as capital letters. It's telling us that this is, this is the name for God, Yahweh, which is uh, the covenant name of God. That means he is the unchanging and eternal redeemer. That's Yahweh, the unchanging, eternal redeemer of his people. And this is the God who hears and is able to hear 
it's not much good crying out to a God who can't hear you, who can't answer you. And yet there are millions of people that cry out to all sorts of false gods who can't say anything that is of any significance. I mean, isn't that a tragedy? That's not our God. We can seek him, we can look to him, we can cry out to him. He is Yahweh, our unchanging eternal redeemer, and he hears and he is able to answer. That's good news, isn't it? I have to confess that there are times when, you know, I don't pray like I ought to. And I think, what's wrong with me? I know what my God is like. I just told you. Yet, why can I be so slow? Oh, let's not be like that. Roger, don't be like that. This is your God. Cry out to him. And then in verse 7, it says this, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. The angel of the Lord. I don't want to go into that. But the verse is just a picture of the presence of God being with his people. Around those who fear him. And he delivers them. The presence of God. And this is David's testimony. Whatever we make of him being in Gath, as he looked back on it and reflected on it, God had been with him. And had delivered him. This is his testimony. And, well, going to Daniel's testimony again, it was very much along those lines. The Lord had been with him in those times of difficulty. So there we have David's testimony, verses 4 to 7. And then in verses 8 to 10... We really have David's invitation to to join in. uh, Join in in rejoicing. Come to the party, as it were, and rejoice in this wonderful God together. So in verse 8 we say, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Now when we become a, a Christian... Uh, The Lord obviously does a work in our hearts by his spirit. And one of the things that he does is that he gives us uh, spiritual senses that we didn't have before. So our ears have been opened. And we we now hear the Lord. We hear him speaking to us through his word. And we see... We see the truth of Jesus. We were blind to it before, but now our eyes have been opened. And we see that Jesus is the Saviour. And another thing that happens is that the Lord gives us a new sense of taste. Those things that that we were focused on before we became a Christian. We now don't have the taste for them that we once have. Now, some of them might be outwardly, outright wrong, and so we have to give them up. Other things are not necessarily wrong, but they've taken up a too big a place in our lives. They've been the focus. But now our taste changes, and we have a new taste. Lord, what do you want? That becomes our taste. Lord, what do you want? The honour of the Lord. 
That's what we have a start to have a taste for. Now, because it doesn't become perfect the moment we're converted. And I've been a Christian now for over 50 years, and I'm, I'm still far, far, far from the, from, the, from the finished product. And sometimes I wonder, you know, I feel as though I've only a few made baby steps. But never, there's a growth, isn't there, in wanting the Lord's way more and more. So here's David's invitation to come and to, to join old taste. Now you see this is a matter of experience. This is not about a bunch of ideas. You know, here's here's a list of Christian doctrine. Uh, rejoice in that. Now, Christian doctrine is very important. But doctrine doesn't save us, does it? We might even sing about those truths with great with great enthusiasm in our hymns, but that's not what saves us. Taste and see the Lord. It's the Lord who saves us. And it's experiencing him, having encountered him, having come to know him, and now to know he is my saviour. And he is my Lord. And that's personal in my life. I hope that's you this evening. And if it's not, the Lord says to you, turn to me. Seek me while you can find me. Tonight. Now is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Now. Today. This night. This moment. David's invitation. And then in verse 9 he says this. Oh, oh fear the Lord, you his saints. Those who fear him have no lack. Have no lack. Is that really the case? So we, I know Christians that are hard up, really hard up at this time. They kind of lack financially. Uh, I know Christians who would love to be married, but they just aren't able to find a Christian spouse. Can we say there's no lack? It reminds us of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So what's David saying here? Well, he's saying here, will lack no good thing. We will lack no good thing. What, what is good for us? What is good for us? And that is just, just matters of the moment, or matters that, that are, are with respect to this life. It is good in terms of eternal things. And the Lord, having saved us, he is going to get us to heaven. And we will lack no good thing from, here, from him in getting us there. He will not fail us. He will not fall short. He will get us there. Every good thing that we need. In order to bring that about. He will do it. Even in the midst of all of the earthly lacks. That we might experience in one way. Or another, and that's remember what our greatest need is. It's not lack of money or relationships or, or health or issues of injustice, or education, or in more other countries that we can think of. We've been praying for Ukraine, you know, war, and in other places, extreme poverty. I mean, they are, they are big issues, but they're not the big problem. None of those things will take us to hell. Our biggest problem is our sin. 
Our sin will take us to hell. So we need to know that Jesus died for me and my sin. And as we share communion uh, in a little while, then uh, we can think of these things and be glad for what the Saviour has done to redeem us. So rejoice with me, says David. His commitment, his testimony as to why uh, we uh, should rejoice. And then his invitation to join in with that rejoicing. And then, he's, uh, then, and then it moves into learn from me, if you like. Uh, verse 11 says this. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you. Okay, now David, out of experience, he's now he's gone into teaching mode. And he wants to teach us some things. And the first is this. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord has been mentioned before. In fact, just a few ver- uh, two or three verses before, it has been mentioned, the fear of the Lord. And now he said, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. This is clearly important to David, that we know the fear of the Lord. Now, now what the fear of the Lord is, is a kind of big uh, topic in itself. But let me uh, pick out one thing, which I think is particularly important. The fear of the Lord is recognising that we're accountable to God. He is our judge, ultimately, so our lives are accountable to him. That's why, as Christians, we know that we need a saviour. And so we need to recognise God as such. Now, if we don't recognise him in that way, then we're likely to fear, not God, but others. We will feel accountable to them. It might be our peers, those that we work with, those that are in our family, and we'll be fearful of them, and we will want to please them. That's why we need to fear the Lord. Because then we want to please him. Then we will, you know, we will, we will aim, we will have a life that is, that is focused on pleasing him out of that, that fear, that right fear of the Lord himself. So you remember Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And God is greater than anything on earth. So we recognize him and we give to him his due and we fear him. Secondly, obey, obey the Lord. Uh, so uh, David uh, continues. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Well, this is about obeying the Lord. So out of a, of a right fear for the Lord, we then want to obey the Lord. As I said this morning, Christian life is not just about forgiveness. It's about a changed life. A life that's being transformed into greater and greater holiness. So in these verses, verse 14, it talks about turn away from evil. That's a kind of negative. That's the negative of fighting sin. We turn away from it. We need to say no to it. We need to act, take action against it. We need to, in the New Testament words, put it to death. 
And we need to know ourselves in this. The scriptures talk about examining ourselves. I think that means more than just having a quick look into our hearts you know, as we approach communion. It, it means a kind of lifestyle. Examine ourselves to know ourselves. To know what the trigger points are for sin in our lives so that we can deal with them and take action against them. That's what we need. But the other side of it is about turning to. Turning to what is good. To doing good. Which is what about what, what God wants for us. And it's trusting his word. What he lays down in his word as how he wants us to live. And to, yeah, that's good. So there are these two aspects. These are these turning away. Saying no. Putting to death. And there is turning to what is good. Turning to Jesus. Wanting what he wants. And having a taste of that. Being developed within us more and more. That will give us motivation in the battle that we have against sin. So spiritual life is really, in some ways, it's built on a right view of God, fearing him, and then out of that, a commitment to obey him. And that's what David is telling us here. Obey the Lord. And then finally, in verses 15 to 22, he's saying, uh, trust, trust the Lord. And he speaks in verse... 16 of those who do evil verse 16 the face of the Lord is against those who do evil and in verse 21 he speaks about the wicked affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned so those verses show us that God is against the wicked he is against those who do evil and they will be judged but with respect to the righteous, God's own people, we read this in verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears towards their cry. And then in verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. Not one of those who takes refuge in him will be condemned. So there's this kind of division between those that are not the Lord's and those that are the Lord's. There is this division. And the Lord is for his people. And he is never against them. But he is against the unbeliever. And if that state conditions, uh, that condition continues in their life until after death, they will know themselves under his eternal judgment. So he's against the unbeliever, but he is for the righteous. To an amazing extent. Look at this verse in verse 20. Well, I'll read from verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out, him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Well, is that a promise for a true believer that you'll never have a broken bone? <laughs> well, I don't think so. Christians can suffer broken bones from time to time can they not but what it is telling us is that there is nothing that can essentially harm us nothing can essentially harm us and this verse both looks backward and looks forward 
It looks backward to uh, Exodus chapter 12 and verse 46. Talking about Passover lamb, we read this. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house and you should not break any of its bones. So with respect to the Passover lamb, not, not one of its bones would be broken. And that's because Passover lamb is looking forward to the one who is the Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And uh, so we read in uh, John's gospel that not one of Jesus' bones was broken. Not one of them was broken. Now, think of that. The Lord Jesus died on the cross and not one of his bones was broken. He was, he was the subject of the opposition of all the religious authorities, the Pharisees, and all of the secular authorities, Pilate, representing Rome. And he was also the subject of the opposition of Satan and all his horde as he died on the cross. Yet none of that power combined together could break one of the bones of Jesus. And as a Christian, you are as safe as one of the bones of Jesus. Satan and all the powers of this world will not be able to, as it were, essentially break you. And snatch you out of the Lord's hands. You are safe. So David says, let's trust the Lord. Let's take refuge in him. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. We are safe. Trust him. So Paul says, uh, sorry, not Paul, David says, rejoice with me on the one hand, and on the other hand, learn from me, from this psalm. So as we come to a close, I need to ask you, have you come to the Lord? Have you stopped trusting yourself and put your trust Confessing that you are the sinner. You are a sinner. And you deserve hell. But Christ can save you. And you've trusted in him. And will trust in him for the rest of your life. And when we've done that, let's rejoice in the Lord always. Even in those difficult times. Let's cry out to him in the dark times. Let's recommend him to others and let's be confident in him now as Christians we should be confident should we not not in ourselves but because of Jesus he is able we are safe in him as one of his bones he is the one to be confident in let's pray Father as we've looked at this verse uh, at this psalm
out of uh, David's experience and how you helped him and delivered him and what he says here which is Father God for our uh, blessing to speak to our hearts Father help us to take these truths on board Father particularly any of us that might be going through hard times and it might be difficult for others of us to really understand what that is all about but Lord your word is your word and it is always true help us to depend upon you who has spoken these things for we pray in Jesus name Amen